I invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 119, verses 33 to 40. Uh, while you're doing that, let me mention that I already mentioned the Christmas shoe boxes out there. There's other venues uh, this time of year that we can help serve our community. There's the Kids and Teens Coat Collection for uh, CrossNet, as well as the annual coat drive that will begin on October 15th. You'll see details there in your bulletin. Um, as Nathan prayed about a farm show serving our community, these are other ways we can show the love of Christ. This is verses 33 to 40. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. Father, we pray that now you would uh, hear our prayer as we study this prayer. You give us understanding in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, we're going through uh, the Hebrew alphabet here. This is the fifth stanza, and it's the letter Hey. Um, Hey is used in the beginning of uh, sentences, a beginning of verbs, that is, to make them causative. In the English, we would say things like cause me to learn or cause me to have understanding, cause me to walk, and so on. Um, But that's a little awkward, and so they're actually translated as petitions in prayer, which is what the Hebrew sentences actually are. The psalmist is petitioning his Lord. He's asking him to teach him, verse 33, to give him understanding, verse 34, to lead him, verse 35, to incline his heart, verse 36, to turn his eyes, verse 37, to give him life, verse 37, to confirm God's promises, verse 38, to turn away reproach, verse 39, and then again he mentions, give me life in verse 40. And so this fifth stanza of Psalm 119, one writer points out, is a series of prayers, prayers for acceptance, prayers for progress, prayers for assistance, and prayers for perseverance in God's school of spiritual learning. And see, it's that last point that I want to focus our attention on this morning, the doctrine of perseverance. It's found in verse 33, if you see there, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end, to the end. He's praying that that God would teach him obedience. Teach me obedience, so I'm praying, Lord, so you will help persevere me to the end. He's saying, look, I don't want to fall away. And so this morning, I want to look at this doctrine of perseverance, and then we're going to look at the doctrine and the spiritual practice of prayer. So what is perseverance? Or 
If you're a Calvinist, you know the five points, the perseverance of the saints. That's the fifth point there. Um, and, and, and the fifth point, perseverance of the saints, flows from the other four points. God's irresistible grace uh, not only saves us, it, it, it changes us, it, it sanctifies us. It preserves us in the faith, and therefore we persevere. See, the, the biblical doctrine of, of perseverance teaches that God will keep those whom he has chosen before the foundations of the world, those he's called in time and believed, he will keep them from falling away from the faith, and because of that, they will persevere in that faith until the end, and Jesus calls them home. Now, if you uh, want a great explanation of this that's, that's a, a great summary, it's found in chapter 17 of the Westminster Confession. I'm not going to read it all to you, but you should look it up if you get a chance. Um, let me give you the summary. This is what it says. It says, those whom God has accepted in Christ, in the Beloved, effectually called them those God has sanctified by the Spirit and can, they can neither totally nor finally fall away from God's grace. And they will persevere to the end. And, that, and that's what it teaches. And so basically, the same God who elected you is the same God who saved you and he promises to sanctify you and preserve you until he glorifies you. The ground of your perseverance, the reason why you'll persevere, it's not your own will. The confession says that actually. The ground of your, your perseverance, the reason why you will persevere is God chose you, Christ redeemed you, and the Holy Spirit indwells you. And God has made a covenant promise that he cannot break because he's a God that does not lie and it'll never be revoked and he's promised to give you eternal life. And so we can be certain that those whom God called he will eventually glorify. Now, that's good news, but it doesn't mean we can just sit back and let God work as if we'll never fall in the great sin because he's doing a work in us. That confession goes on to talk about this. It says, nevertheless, all that is true. The, through the temptations of the world, the flesh and the devil... Um, the corruption still in our hearts, we may fall into grievous sins, it says. And, and for a time, continue in those sins. And, and, and when we do that, we incur God's displeasure and we grieve His Holy Spirit. And, and, and so, the biblical doctrine of perseverance is important if we're going to please the Lord and not grieve His Spirit. We have to persevere. The psalmist knows this. He doesn't want to fall into grievous sin. He doesn't want his heart to be hardened. He doesn't want to incur God's displeasure. He doesn't want to grieve the Spirit. He does not want to harm others and give them occasion to sin. He doesn't want to bring temporal judgments upon himself, all those things that are found in the full length of that confession. He wants to persevere in the faith that he claims. Teach me, he says, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. He wants to end well. And see, to end well, you have to live well. 
And to live well, um, you, you need to know some things that are found in his word. Ending well is the consequence of living well. And so what are those essential things for, uh, that you need to know for a consistent life that ends well? How, how are you to live a life of perseverance? And the first answer to that should be obvious, at least a little bit, is that we're dependent upon God. These are in the causative mode, as I mentioned, and so it's not surprising that we find here this strong emphasis on God's activity, God teaching and directing us and redirecting our lives. He, he knows, the psalmist knows, I, I want to I end well and I want to live well, and in order to do that, I, I, I must depend on God's grace. I, I have to depend on it. And, and, and he cannot do this on his own. His mind needs to be enlightened, and his heart must be redirected toward God if he's going to persevere. Remember, the confession said perseverance is dependent upon the election of God, the work of Christ, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and, and, and based on the covenant that God has made in Christ by grace, the covenant of grace. And so perseverance If you're going to persevere in the faith until the day Christ brings you home, you're dependent upon God's prior grace, you're you're dependent upon His present grace and continuing grace, and His future grace. Christ, right now, is presently interceding for you if you're a believer. The Holy Spirit of God is presently indwelling you if you're a believer. And so you can no more be lost than God can be untrue to his own word. We're dependent upon God. And that leads to the second essential thing for us to persevere. It should be obvious. We must pray. It follows logically from the first point. If we're dependent upon God for persevering grace, then it's only logical that we must pray to God for it. He's the one that can bestow it upon us. God has given us prayer as a means of opening up the floodgates of heaven so his grace can be poured down upon us. You know, the confession, again, I said I didn't read the whole thing. It goes on to say that we're dependent upon God for perseverance, and even though we may fall away, and one of the reasons we may fall away is because we don't take advantage of the means the means God has provided for us to uh, remain faithful. We neglect these means. And one of those means is prayer. The confession talks about three means of grace, the word, the preached word, especially the preached word, it says, but the reading of the word, the studying of the word, the word, the sacraments. When we took the sacrament last week, what did we do? We, we, we remembered that it, all the sacrament it is is a visible sign of, of the truth of the gospel. It's a means of God bestowing his grace upon us. And the third means is prayer. And so if we neglect prayer, what happens is we're putting the brakes, as it were, on our perseverance. God has provided prayer as a means to to persevere, and if we don't take advantage of it, uh, we do it at our own peril. See, you shouldn't be surprised if you fall into grievous sin if you're not praying. And so how do we persevere? We pray, and we pray a lot. Uh, We call down God's blessings upon us. 
And the psalmist knew his perseverance to the end was dependent upon God's grace, prior grace, and present grace, and future grace. And so he knew he needed to pray. And so what did he pray for? What would you pray for in that situation? Well, there are seven things he needed from God if he was going to persevere. He needed his mind renewed. He needed his feet redirected. We're going to go back over these. But he, he, he needed his heart refashioned. He needed his eyes refocused. He needed his faith reconfirmed. He needed his scorn removed. He needed his life revitalized. And we're going to look at those. These are the things that he prays for. He wants to persevere. First, he needed his mind renewed. Look at verse 33 and 34. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Now, this is a prayer for spiritual enlightenment. It's a repetitive theme in Psalm 119. And so it's worth repeating. It's not enough to read just the Bible, outline the books, you know, get a couple answers to questions, be able to debate theology. They're all good, but you must come to an understanding the character of God and how he works in providence. It must be an experiential knowledge. Uh, The Puritans call it sometimes an experimental knowledge. And it begins with our minds. Our minds matter when it comes to persevering. John Stott wrote a book called Our Minds Matter. And he discussed these six areas regarding the Christian life where our minds matter. Think about this. You're living the Christian life. Why does the mind matter? Well, it matters for worship. Why? Because worship is honoring God for who He is. It's not just coming to church on Sunday. I worship because I just showed up and sat in a building. No. It's honoring God for who He is. And and in order, uh, we must understand something about God. We must know His attributes. I've told you this before. Dr. Boyce was at a conference speaking on the attributes of God, and somebody came up to him and said, I've never heard that. All my years, I've never heard these attributes. And he said, well, who have you been worshiping all this time? you got to know something. It matters for worship. It matters for faith. Why? Because faith is acting, believing and acting on the promises of God. And in order to believe God's promises, you have to have some understanding of them. It matters for growth and holiness. That's what this psalm is mainly about, knowing that God has done in us because we're united to Christ and the Spirit indwells us, we act accordingly. We need to know these things. It matters for personal guidance. You have to have some knowledge of the Scripture to know which way to go. If you want to be guided, you need the Bible. It matters for evangelism. It's not just, hey, just believe in God. You have to have some knowledge about what Christ has accomplished. The fact that we're sinners, you need to know these things. People are responding to the Word of God, and they need to act on it. And so we need to present the teachings of God. It matters for our evangelism. It matters for ministry. And first, in seeking out where we should serve. What are my spiritual gifts? You have to have knowledge of these things. What what is God leading me to do in my life? And second, to serve in this area well. 
How should I go about the work I've been given to do? How do I do that? Well, the Scripture answers that. And so, our minds matter for our worship, for our faith, for our living holy, for guidance in this life, for evangelism, and for ministry. There's really no place in the Christian life for anti-intellectualism. I've heard it through the years over and over and over again. I, I don't need... You know, this seminary degree, you don't. I don't need to have all this knowledge. I just love Jesus. And and, and maybe you've thought that way. Uh, But what Jesus are you worshiping? You got to have knowledge. There's no space for anti-intellectualism. God created us rational beings. He gave us his word, and as a written word, we have to be able to read and understand it. And so the psalmist prays for his mind to be renewed, to be taught, and to have understanding of God's word. And so first, we need our minds renewed. Second, we'll move along here. He needs his feet redirected. Look at verse 35. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. If we, if we are going to persevere, we need God's Word to guide us, to direct our path. In the former verses, he begs for light from the Word. And now what he's doing is basically saying, look, I, I, I understand now your Word. You gave me the light from your Word. Now I need the strength to walk according to what I just learned. And what we learn and understand with our mind must motivate the will to do what God commands One writer says, obedience cannot be that of a slave obeying a master in order to avoid discipline. It must be the obedience of a grateful child who delights to please his or her parents. And notice what the psalmist prays here, that God will lead him in the path of obedience because he what? Delights in his word. That Hebrew word for path is the word to tread. It's the trodden way. It's not a new direction. That's not what it's talking about. In other words, it's a path. Why is it a path? Because many have gone before us and and tread that path. What does Jeremiah say? Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the what? The ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. We're, We're not to make our own path. I mentioned boys. Dr. Boyce says, in terms of the Christian life, we're not to be innovators, right? We're not to be, Im- we're to be imitators, he says. We, we want to look at those who have been faithful before us and walk in their way. People like Abraham and Moses and David, of course, and, and the Apostle Paul and the Reformers and the Puritans, and, and there are giants of the faith today that we can look to. Uh, But we also need to remember what? It's a narrow path. And and Jesus says only a few walk on it. But we need to follow their example, walk their path. We are going to persevere in the faith. We need our feet redirected toward the path of obedience. Third, we need our heart refashioned. Look at verse 36. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. In order to persevere, we want to walk in obedience so that that's why the author prays next, incline my heart, turn my heart toward your statutes, turn my heart, the inclinations of my heart, not towards selfish gain. The idea is that there's a tension in our hearts, right? 
We know the right way, but our desires are often torn. And you, you do realize you always do what you desire most. I could stand up here and I could tell you, I desire to memorize the Word of God. And assuming there's no intellectual deficiency in me from keeping me from doing that, the only reason I don't do it is because I don't desire it as much as something else. You always desire what, what you, always, you always do that which you desire most. C.S. Lewis says the only people who don't do that are people who are insane. Literally insane. What does Jesus say? You cannot serve both God and money. And so the psalmist knew this, this torn desire in his heart. He knew the appeal riches have. And so he asked God to incline his heart away from riches toward God and his law instead. And so do you see, it's not just intellectual. It's the whole being. Lord, I now understand what your word says. I pray that you'd put me on the right path. I pray you give me the strength. But more than that, Lord, I, I need you to make me want that more than anything else in this world. See, we need to be praying for that. We need to be praying for that. Uh, and, and so we need our hearts refashioned toward the riches of what? The riches of God's word over the riches of this world if we're going to persevere. And we also need our eyes refocused. That's the fourth point. Look at verse 37. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. Uh, uh, Turn my eyes from looking at that which is vain is another translation. I'll explain why I mentioned that. And give life in your ways. This verse occurs in the book Pilgrim's Progress. And it's at a familiar point in the narrative of Pilgrim's Progress. Christian and faithful come to Vanity Fair, and they're on their way to the celestial city, and here all the merchandise of the world is for sale. And, and, uh, but those who are on their way to the celestial city do not fit in with these people, and when they are asked to stop and buy the things of this world, it's, it's, it's a word picture, right? It, it's, it's imagery that they, they put their hands to their ears and they run away crying, turn away my eyes from beholding vanity. It's a quote of that verse. And they look toward heaven to show that that's where the business of their lives matter. And see that, that sentence, turn away my eyes from beholding vanity, that's the version that Bunyan would have had when he wrote this book. It's the Christian's only wise response to the allurements of this world. And so the psalmist is praying, turn my eyes from worthless things, the world's wealth and the world's temptations, and turn my eyes to God and his word and eternal things. See, that which we spend our time looking at, we come to like. And that which we look at and like, we come to love. And that becomes our God. And so we need to turn our gaze to where? To Christ and his word. See, this verse actually follows naturally from the one before. Once the psalmist began to consider what might keep him from a profitable study of the Bible, he's saying, look, I need to know the word. He realizes that he's tempted by more than mere riches. There's many worthless things, and they're all alluring. 
so many things to gobble up our time. It doesn't mean that we can't enjoy the things of this world in moderation and godly things. God has given us this world. There's nothing wrong with entertainment. You don't, the, I'm not saying here, and the psalmist isn't saying, I just need to be reading my Bible for, you know, eight hours a day, then sleep, and, and in between there, and pray. No, he's saying that, look, what I spend most of my time doing and thinking about is what I'm going to love the most. And there's so many worthless things that I could spend my time on, and they're all alluring. And so I need to fix my eyes on Jesus. I need to fix my eyes on the things of God. They are everlasting they're, they're the ones that will be here for eternity. The others are just passing away. This is what Paul says. Set your minds on things above, not on things that are on earth. And so if we need to set our minds on things above. Fifth, he needed his faith reconfirmed. Look at verse 38. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Now, another way to translate this verse, which goes well with the previous verse, is hold up thy word before thy servant. And so he's praying, hold the word up to my eyes. Hold, hold, it, hold it up to my mind. Hold it up to my steps, my path. Hold it up to my heart. Make all that is vain the past so I don't see it. I don't want to see that. I want to see your word. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to step toward that. I don't want to desire that. I want to desire your word. Let your word be so set up before my whole being that I should always see it and buy it your promises and know your word. And so if we're going to persevere, we must settle in our hearts and minds that the Scripture is God's word. We must be certain of it, that Christ, for us as believers, this side of the New Testament, is Christ is God's divine Son. We must be certain of these doctrines, these promises, that our salvation is found in Christ alone. We need to be certain of it. We must be certain that the doctrines of the word are true. And so six, we need reproach. He needs reproach removed. Look at verse 39. Turn away the reproach that I dread for your rules are good. See, once we've confirmed our faith in God's word and then stand in awe of God, we can be assured that we will, as the psalmist indicates in verse 22, that we will fall under the reproach of the world. And we talked about this a little bit last week. Obviously, this is going to get more and more true. Um, and so the psalmist prays for God to turn away the, the, the reproach that he dreads. And one writer said, God's ordinances should be confessed and upheld at whatever reproach we may suffer in upholding them, God is readily able to turn away from us. It, it, this is a real temptation for many people. Maybe it is for you. They want, it, what, you want to follow God's word. I want to follow God's word. But I know that if I do that, I, I'd be risking the scorn and the contempt of the world. And so we may not out and out deny it. We may just cover it up. We might avoid it. It really comes down to the fear of God or the fear of man. So either you fear God or you dread men's approach. Or, uh, sorry, reproach. And so verse 38 says, fear God. Verse 39 says, don't let me dread men's reproach. Take it from me. And, and so what is the person to do? They're to turn to God in prayer and then turn to his word. For God's word is good, says verse 39. 
And it's, it's able to keep us from the fear, keep us in the fear of the Lord and away from disgrace. And so if we're going to persevere, we need to pray that God will keep us and protect us from the reproach of evil men who seek to have us turn away from his word. That's the evil. You still may be killed for your faith. The evil here, keep me from the reproach because I don't want to be tempted into giving in. It's not a promise that as long as you stand on God's word, everything's going to go well. Everybody, you know, is going to get out of your way and you're going to, they're not going to reproach you. That's not the point. Finally, seventh, he needed his life revitalized. Look at verse 40. Behold, I long for your precepts and your righteousness give me life. Verse 37, he prayed, give me life in your word. And now he's praying, give me life in your righteousness. They're basically the same thing. The prayer here is for liveliness and the knowledge and practice of holiness. He has this deep longing for God's truth. His soul was kind of consumed with longing, which is a true mark of a mature believer. And yet, here he is, he, he, he believes that, yet he prays that he'll be revitalized in God-centered living. He knows it's a gift from God, uh, given to us through his word. And so the psalmist is saying, look, I completely depend upon God and his word if I'm going to persevere, and I need to have my life revitalized. And so if we're going to persevere, we must... First, depend upon God's grace. Second, we must pray, and we must pray to renew our minds, to redirect our feet, to refashion, Lord, our hearts, to refocus our eyes on Christ, to reconfirm our faith, remove any dread of men's scorn, and revitalize our life. That's the prayer. How often have you prayed like that? Well, let me close and say that this is no small doctrine. I could spend another 15, 20 minutes on it, but then I'd be speaking to myself. So we will close. It's central to the Christian life. Without perseverance, you cannot be saved. Now understand what I'm saying there. What does what Mark, what do we learn in the, in the Gospel of Mark? You will be hated by all because of my name, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. 1 Corinthians 15, now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and which also you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. If you hold fast to the word... And so if you don't persevere, you won't be saved. And maybe you're thinking, ah, what about those who fall away? I guess they lose their salvation. Is that what we're saying here? No. You cannot lose your salvation if you're a true believer. Falling away simply shows that a person never belonged to Christ. First John says this. Why did they go out from us? Why did they leave us? And he says, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. What is he saying there? If a person falls away, they just showed their true colors. They were never truly a believer. They may have attended church for a while. They got excited about the word a couple times. But, you know, the world, the pressure, the reality of it comes. 
And, and so they, they, they don't persevere and they reveal to us who they truly are. And so again, perseverance in the faith, obedience and holiness comes from faith is necessary. Hebrews 12, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. 1 John 2, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. But we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. And so we, we should be earnest in making our calling and our election sure. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom. See, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone. And the same God who saved us sanctifies us. Being united to Christ not only takes care of that penalty for sin, but, but also works in us to overcome the power of sin until one day he takes us out of the presence of sin. And so we must walk in holiness by grace through faith. And if that is not true of you, if, if, if it's never even entered your mind living holy week to week, if you have no longing whatsoever for his word, if you leave here on Sunday and that is the last time you think of God again until Sunday morning when you say, oh, yeah, I should go to church, then the answer to you, the problem that you're having, it's not you need to work harder. Well, I'll just, today I'm going to go home and I'm going to read the Bible. I may even pray the Lord's Prayer on Mondays. No, that's not the answer. The answer is resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ now. You need to be saved. You need to be justified. You need the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You need to be united to Jesus Christ. You need to be declared righteous that you'll be sanctified and that someday you will be glorified. And so what you need this morning is to turn to Christ for salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, what's they say, and you will be saved. And once you're saved, once you hear Christ's voice speaking in his word and you truly believe, he will never let you go. That's why we believe in eternal security. Truly saved. My sheep hear my voice, he says, and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. And, and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one. Ah, but you, you can snatch yourself out of his hand. No one, including yourself, my Father who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. See, once you are saved by Christ, through Christ, you follow Christ. And what do you do? You follow him right into eternity. And so believe and trust God to work in you, dependence upon him and his word. Pray, Lord, I, I, I believe, now renew my mind, direct my path, change my heart, keep my eyes fixed on Jesus, reconfirm to me my faith, 
remove any reproach that would would lead me down the wrong path and then revitalize my life all for the glory of your name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the grace that you bestow upon us and for the means that you have provided in your word and in prayer. And we pray in the sacrament and we pray, Lord, that you would help us to uh, take advantage of those means. And by the, the grace of God and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we would live for you, that we would persevere right into eternity. In Christ's name. Amen.